Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. This morning we are going to continue the series that we've been looking at, keeping our eyes, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on the author and the finisher of our faith. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the one that for the joy set before him, endured the cross, endured the shame, endured all that he knew would would lie in front of him as he stepped into that place of obedience to the Father. That as believers in Jesus, our responsibility is to keep our eyes fixed on him, knowing that as we do, our identity becomes more clear. That our purpose on earth has more meaning, that our ability to see him actually begins to define the situations of life that we walk through together. And so as we go through this series, what we're doing is we're defining our values. The things that we believe, the things that we hold on to, the the things that we believe that God is leading us into as a body, as a congregation, and as a gathering of believers. Last week we looked at the, the fourth, fifth, and sixth values that we have, which is that we have a value for creating a culture of empowerment. We said we know that we value and we know the power of community. And finally, we know that we have a responsibility to the future generations. And as we've gone through the values and as we've looked at them in in sets, I've started to see this theme emerge from the first three to the next three and to then the final four. And I wish I could say that, that we did it on purpose. But in truth, it kind of just worked this way. And so the first three that we looked at were talking about our identity, that we are a generational body of believers, that we are a body of believers who believes in transformation. We know the power of identity. That's who we are. The next three being uh, part of of what it is that that we walk in as community. So more about our identity, uh, about our empowerment, how we empower one another to walk out the purpose that God has for us. And today, and likely into next week, and we'll see how this is going to work going into Palm Sunday, we are going to be talking about our action values. We know who we are, we know we're empowered, but what does this mean and what does this look like for us as a church? How does this go from an identity and an empowerment to a reality? And I think this is where it really begins to, if I can say it this way, where the rubber meets the road. Where we go from just knowing about who we are to actually starting to live it out. And isn't this always the most difficult part in life? It's really exciting for some people to draw up a budget, to put all the facts and the figures in place and to say, this is where my money is going to go. But isn't it another story entirely to then have to actually reduce spending in certain areas? To actually not buy the thing that we want to buy when we want to buy it? It's really easy to stand at the altar and to say, till death do us part in marriage. And then somewhere along the line, we start to deal with differences of opinions and and the natural inevitability of arguments and situations that we don't see eye to eye in. It's good to talk about what we believe, but we have to understand that it's when we put it into action that it really starts to, to make a difference in the communities that we live in. 
It's at that point that we don't just talk about the kingdom, but we begin to live out the kingdom. That we give God access into every part of who we are so that our very actions start to look more like like Him. As I was preparing this message, I was thinking about this period of time in my life before I uh, came on staff here as a pastor. I was thinking about a job that I used to have, and um, I don't want to give anything away, so I'm going to be very vague about this. I used to drive a big brown truck and deliver packages. (laughs) So I know no one has any idea what I'm talking about. But I remember this part of my journey, and, and as a youth pastor, often you have to have another job, especially we had an independent youth ministry, and we were paying for everything, and so other jobs were important. And so I worked for this company, and, and I remember going through my interview process and then finding out that if I wanted to be a part of this company, if I wanted to be a driver, then I needed to learn about their values. And it wasn't just that I needed to learn about their values. I needed to know their values. I needed to know what their rules were and why they did the things that they did, at least as a driver. And so part of this process was going away to what they call driver school. In driver school, it's very little about actually driving the truck at first, and it's more about who they are and these rules for why they do what they do. And so as you get to driver school, you get there on day one, I think it was three days long, and and at the end there's a test. And in this test, you have to know their values word for word, verbatim, and you need to be able to repeat them on the spot at any given moment. Now the good news is there weren't so many of them. There were the five keys to preventing slips and falls, which of course you need to know how to walk and not fall down. It's important to have five rules about that. Something they called the five seeing habits for when you were driving. Eight keys for lifting and lowering packages. So you need to know how to pick up a package properly, but also how to put it down. So that wasn't so bad. Five rules on how to back up. An entire yard control procedure with eight rules of its own. A hazmat procedure. The the procedures for how to come into the building, how to leave the building, what you should be wearing. And then a 10-point commentary on driving. And we were responsible to know each and every single one of these. If you ask me today any of them, I don't know that I could repeat even three of them. But at that time, this was the stuff that kept me up at night. I would fall asleep reciting these things in my mind for that moment where they would come and ask me, what are the 10 seeing habits? And being able just to list them out one by one by one. But here's the thing, and and I think there was value in knowing their values. I, I think... First of all, there was liability on their end. But second of all, it was good to know. But here's the thing about any of these values and these rules. Being able to repeat them is a good thing. Being able to write them down on a test is a good thing. But who knows, if you don't take those values and actually put them into action, they are worth very little. I can speak uh, on my own personal experience. There's a few mailboxes that have been knocked over during my tenure at this, at this company that would seem to indicate that knowing how to back up on paper is good, but sometimes it doesn't always work the way that you expected it to. So in our values as a church, we have to first of all know who we are. We have to know what we're empowered to do. And finally, we have to know what it looks like to actually walk these things out. So this morning, we're going to continue to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. 
And I just wanted to kind of bring the first six values together in one statement. And I did not have anyone look at this for grammar. I'm sure it's terrible. I apologize. I'm going to come see John Morabito after the service. He's going to help me take care of all of it. But what we want to do today is realize that we are a generational body of believers who knows their identity and is tra- knows their identity as transformed kids of the King, empowered to walk as a community, honoring the past, equipping the present, and empowering the future. So that's our first six, kind of in one statement in one nutshell. And this morning we're going to look at number seven. Number seven is this. We as a church want to live out of compassion for others. We want to live as a compassionate church. We want to be those who choose to be compassionate. And kind of our description of this is that we desire to be a church where compassion is our first response and not an afterthought. We believe in coming alongside hurting people so that no one suffers alone. You see, this value at face value seems to be pretty straightforward. It seems to be pretty obvious what this means. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus and we look at him, we can see very clearly that this is what he walked in on a regular basis, probably every single day that he was on earth. That compassion was a virtue of who God was because I don't believe that it's possible to walk in compassion without walking in love. And we know, of course, that God, by very definition of who he is, as it says in 1 John 4, 8, says whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So love is the core of all of this. Jesus didn't simply walk in love. He didn't simply command that we walk in love. But he himself is the very embodiment and nature and reality of what love is. So when Jesus walked each step on earth, each and every single one of them was in love. These are the moments that really make sense to us, the ones that we can see him healing the sick and raising the dead. But it was also in the moments of conflict, correction, and teaching. It was interwoven through every aspect of the ministry of Jesus. And so when we read this chapter, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, it really comes together very very nicely. So let's just read this together. Verse 28 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To me, when I read these words and I I really read them and I allow them to speak into who I am at, at a core level, all I can feel coming out of this is the compassion of Jesus. It's the love of Jesus. This is what it means to walk and to receive the compassion of Jesus. I love how the message uh, translation paraphrases it. It says, are you tired and worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I will show you what it is to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. 
Learn the unforced rhythms of grace, the ones that you don't have to work for and strive for and give all of your effort, effort towards, but know what it is to walk with me. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. As Christians, we need to be the ones that don't just know this passage, but that we know that it applies to us that Jesus is speaking these words to us, that this is what's available to us, but also that we are meant to take the truth and the reality of this statement and to live it out for those around us. You see, compassion is not just knowing what Jesus has said, but it is actually applying it to our lives and bringing it to others. What if we were the ones in our relationships who embodied what this verse says? If we were the ones that didn't put heavy burdens on others, but sought to in the best way that we could to bring freedom and to bring grace and to bring mercy into the situations and the relationships of our lives. You see, we are meant to actually live these things out as Jesus did. We are actually meant to be these words for others. See, this is what Jesus did. This is what he walked in. And this morning, I want to look at a couple of examples of what this compassion looked like, of what it meant for Jesus to walk into compassion. And just a spoiler alert here this morning, there are elements of this that maybe we wouldn't have considered before. The first story that I want to look at is found in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14, 14 is just this simple verse that seems to make a lot of sense to us in the context of what we're talking about. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. This sounds just like a regular story about Jesus, right? He saw people, he loved them, and he brought healing to them. And in many ways, this is exactly what this is. This was compassion. But when we look at this story a little bit deeper, we realize that there was more going on than just Jesus seeing people and having compassion on them. You see, what we have to realize in walking in compassion is that it often is going to come with a price. That walking in compassion very often is going to require something of us. It's going to cost something of us. And so when we read this passage starting in verse verse 1 and 1 through 12, what we see was that this wasn't just another day for Jesus. It wasn't just that he was walking and he saw these people and he had compassion on them because verses 1 through 12 says that he had just found out about the death of John the Baptist. You see, John the Baptist was his cousin. It was the one who had led the way, who had trailblazed the way for Jesus' ministry on earth. John the Baptist was the one that was in the womb of Elizabeth, and when Mary came and spoke, he leapt within her. John the Baptist very likely was a friend of Jesus, someone who he knew and loved very deeply and intimately. He was the one that baptized Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. And in verse 13, we see this very human side of Jesus where it says that Jesus desired to withdraw and to be alone. Even Jesus, in this moment of grief, he needed some time. He wanted to withdraw from the people, to be by himself, and to grieve the loss of his cousin. 
And yet the very next verse is the verse we read in 14, which is that when he went ashore to be alone, they followed him, they found him. And in that moment, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. You see, compassion is more than just feeling bad for somebody. Compassion is more than just should I or shouldn't I do something nice for somebody. Compassion is not just somebody has a need and and maybe I should be the one that would fix it. See, it actually, when we look at the Greek word, and and guys, I got to tell you, this is a Greek word if I've ever seen one. Okay, sometimes with when, when you're preaching and you see a Greek word, you just say it quickly and confidently. And it appears that you know what you're talking about. But as we put this word on the screen, I want you to know that there is no way in the world that I'm going to try to pronounce this word here today. Even when they break this word down phonetically, it makes no sense. I don't even know how to sound out the words that they, that they tried to put together in the, in the phonetic element of this. But the definition of this word is to be moved in and from the inward parts. To be moved from within to the depth of who we are. It actually speaks about the, the honorable organs and intestines inside of us. Like this is what it's talking about. It's talking about to your very core level to be moved, to feel something, and out of a response to what you are feeling deep within to then do something about it. Compassion is not a weak word. It's not a a simple, easy word. Compassion is something that we feel deep within, and then we do something about it even when it costs us, even when it requires something of us. And I believe what it is at its truest form is the result of our true identity at the deepest levels to be like our Abba, to be like our Father in heaven. I know sometimes in families we can look at a child and we look at their parents and we say there is no mistake that that child belongs to that parent. We may know it ourselves in in different areas and even sometimes voices can sound similar and, and in appearance and in characteristics and in hairlines and all these different things. We see this connection to parents at times. But what I see here is that there is this identity of who God is And that we were created in his image and his likeness. And when we are moved in compassion, with compassion, we are actually reflecting the heart of God. We are reflecting our Father to a deep and a core level. This is what Jesus put on display for us. Jesus continued to walk in compassion. He was moved, even in this place of grieving, to a place where he would reach out and to bring healing to those who were hurting to those who were lost, and to those who needed a miracle. I want to look at another story here in Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34. This is a story of a group of blind men. And it's interesting to me how often when somebody is coming for healing, that there are others who would try to stand in the way of this taking place. So chapter 20, verses 29 through 34. It says, As they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. 
The crowd rebuked them and told them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called to them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said, Lord, let our eyes be open. And Jesus, in pity, and this is the same word that is translated compassion, touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and they followed after him. You see, for Jesus, it didn't really matter what the other people thought about the individuals. Jesus, when he was being moved in compassion, he wasn't affected by those who would try to silence them and to shut them down. There was something inside of them that cried out knowing that they needed a Savior, knowing that they needed healing. And even though they could not see, they were able to recognize who and what was standing in front of them. And as they cried out to Jesus, it says that he looked at them, that he was moved from deep within and he healed them. He brought sight to their eyes. And the result of this was that they followed after him. You see, in our lives, there are going to be times where there is going to be this need to follow along with what other people are saying. To be able to look at others through the eyes of of the natural lens, through the natural way of looking at things. We talked about this last week. But we are not to be those who see only through the natural eyes. We are not to be those who only look and judge based off of what we see and what we can experience. But walking in true compassion means that we take the time to look beyond, to look beneath the surface, to go beyond what is on the exterior to know what God has said about them to the core of who they are. Compassion is is moving beyond just what is seen. Jesus continually walked in compassion. He continued to perform these miracles, to raise the dead, to heal the sick, to do what what we know Jesus did in his ministry. But there's a question that I want to ask here today, which is this. Does compassion always look the same in every situation? Does compassion always look the same to us? See, there's something that I want us to see about compassion here this morning. Yes, it comes out of love. It costs us something. But it's that compassion also doesn't always look like this pretty expression of love that results in the applause of others. That compassion doesn't always result in everybody walking away with a smile on their face, feeling warm and fuzzy inside. As we read through the Gospel of Matthew, we come upon this passage in chapter 9, starting in verse 36. It says, When when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, into his harvest. When Jesus saw these individuals, it says he was moved from deep within him because they were harassed, which means to be troubled. They were helpless. In the Greek, this means to be thrown down, to be cast aside. They were in this place because he says that they were like sheep without a shepherd. They had no guide. They had no one to go before them. They had no truth 
to lead them. You see, when Jesus looked at them, he was moved with compassion, not just because maybe many of them were sick or in need of healing, as we saw in other stories, not because they were crying out to him, but because when he looked at them, he realized that they were harassed, that they were troubled, that they were thrown aside, that there was something going on inside of them that was in a state of conflict, in a state of chaos, and in a state of brokenness. And the reason that he points to is that they were sheep without a shepherd. They were those who were walking potentially in pursuit of God, and yet they did not have the one who would bring them clear direction, walking with them into truth. You see, this is important because out of compassion, he recognizes this. And his response is not to form a prayer line, to ask the ushers to come forward, to have an altar call, to have everyone come forward to be prayed for. And I'm not knocking that at all. But Jesus, he didn't say this prayer over the vast congregation, the people who were out there and say, be healed in the name of Jesus, because it wasn't just a physical issue that they were going through. There was something that they were dealing with on a deeper level, on a spiritual level, on a soul level. Part of who they were, there was conflict that was going on inside of them. And what he said to do to the disciples was pray for those who would go and gather the harvest. Pray for those that would be the ones who would walk in their God-given identity to go out into the places where there are broken people and to gather them, to grab a hold of them, and to bring them into the place of their reality in who I am. You see, we as a church, when we talk about what it means to be the gathering, we want to be a gathering of believers, but we want to be those who would go out and to gather others and to bring them in. But it can't stop there. You see, just going out and doing what, what we know to do, preaching the gospel, it's amazing, but we can't stop there. It, it can't just be that we go out and we do what we've always done and, and just hope that people are going to grab a hold of truth. It's not to put down any of the, the ways that we've witnessed in the past or gone out into the communities. I think we need so much more of that. But it's to understand that we walk when we walk. In our God-given identity, we are bringing more to them out of a place of compassion. You see, compassion looks like something. We said last week and the week before that faith looks like something. There is a result of our faith. Compassion is the same. It looks like love. It looks like comfort. It looks like feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, mourning with those who are hurting. It looks like all of these things that we associate with having compassion on others. But in equal parts, it must be love and it also must be truth. Walking in compassion means that we want to take care of the physical being. We want to gather around people and to comfort them. But can I tell you this morning that if we just stop there and we don't continue along the path of leading them into truth that brings freedom, that brings release, that brings the healing that only God can bring, then we are doing this community and this world a great disservice. When Jesus said, like sheep without a shepherd, he wasn't suggesting that they needed a handout or a pillow and a blanket. He wasn't just saying comfort them. In the same way that somebody 
in a burning building doesn't just need a bottle of water to quench their thirst. They need someone who is able to lead them out of the place of destruction, of all that may be crashing down around them. They need someone who's going to bring them and to lead them into what truth and the truth of Jesus really looks like. You see, Jesus was saying that these were people in need of men and women who through their kingdom identities would lead them from darkness into light. Once again, faith looks like something, but so does love and compassion. But what we see in the world around us right now is a counterfeit version of love and compassion. We see a counterfeit version that simply tries to keep the hurting occupied, to keep them distracted while they are at times literally destroying their lives as everything comes crashing down around them. It's this culture that says, do whatever you have to do to find happiness. Do whatever you have to do to make it feel better. It doesn't matter if it's mutilating your body. It doesn't matter if it's making decisions that are never going to be changed. It doesn't matter if it's just medicating the pain and trying to cover the initial feelings of what you're going through. It doesn't matter if it's just a temporary pursuit of relief through any means necessary. You see, this is what the world offers. And it's not compassion. It's not the truth of who Jesus has called us to be. But then we look around at the world and we realize how far down this road that we have now, uh, we've now approached as a nation. We see how far down this road that we have, that we've traveled and now we are in this place where on the very core levels of our community and society, the educational level, that children are being taught these dangerous and truthfully deadly principles about who they are and what they should do in this new identity. See, I did a little bit of research this past week. And there are some things that I want to share with you. Did you know that in New York State, you can't go get a tattoo under the age of 18, even with parental consent? I didn't know that. You can't just go get a tattoo if you're under 18 years old. Even if your parents with you, they sign the waiver, it's illegal. According to Section 260.21 of the New York State Penal Law. You can't give a tattoo to minors under the age of 18, regardless of parental consent. But did you know also in New York that if you are under 18 years old and you want an abortion, you can do so without any parental consent whatsoever? No mandatory waiting periods, no no other options have to be given. This is what you want, this is what you can have. We know that you can't just go into a store and buy cigarettes if you're a minor. I thought this was if you're under 18, but in truth, now you have to be 21. So you have to be 21 to buy cigarettes or alcohol. But according to the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, hormones and puberty blockers can be started at age 14 and sometimes sooner, with surgeries being done at 15 or 17. The group acknowledged potential risks, but said it is unethical and harmful to withhold early treatment. So you can't get a tattoo because you might regret it. But you can 
chemically alter the composition of your body that would often result in sterility or becoming sterile, that would permanently change the outcome of your life, often without any parental consent whatsoever. In New York State. As I was doing this research, I just want to throw out this disclaimer. Don't let your children anywhere near WebMD. Because as I went on their website... All that I found was article after article after article in these really nice, attractive little buttons that you could press that give the most sexually explicit information to anybody who would come on their website about things that I would not even be able to to repeat from the pulpit here this morning. You see, this is the culture, this is the world that we live in. This is the place of brokenness, of harassment, of, of people being lost and, and without any hope for, any kind of hope for re- restoration or healing in their lives. And all the world wants to do is push more of it and more of it. Not just down our throats, but to our children as well. Public schools carrying books called, uh, you know, from this one's actually from a Christian perspective, Queerfully and Wonderfully Made including other books that include X-rated pornographic pictures and illustrations, once again with descriptions of things that I wouldn't repeat here this morning. And then you have the other companies like Disney and Netflix, who seemingly as often as possible want to put this stuff in cartoons to indoctrinate the children of our nation. And in all honesty, it's still just the tip of the iceberg. Because this is the inflammatory stuff that brings a reaction out of us because of its extreme nature. But if the world around us can't be trusted with the common sense aspects of what is child endangerment and child abuse, can we trust them with anything else? There are other areas that are harder to pin down from critical theory, Marxism, and other divisive issues that are purely humanistic and atheistic being intertwined through curriculum in schools and universities, all being paid for with your tax dollars and mine. And also telling parents that they have nothing really to say about it. And yet the church in large part stays out of a lot of this. Not just when it comes to our children, but in life, in relationships and friendships, we keep silent on the sensitive issues because we don't want to cause conflict. We think to ourselves, there's always been evil in the world. There's always been dysfunction. What is any different about where we are right now? We often believe that some people are just going to think differently than us. No big deal. That's okay. And at times we think compassion is simply being agreeable and keeping our beliefs to ourselves. But when we don't bother to think about what ramifications this is going to have in the world we live in, I think we often have this optimistic view of it's not going to happen here. It's not going to continue to happen. It's not going to affect my children. It's not going to affect my loved ones. Like, New York State's never going to show up at our door and tell us that we have to get rid of our our discriminatory bathrooms. New York State's never going to show up here and mandate and dictate who we can have on staff and who we can't, and what's hate speech and what's not, regardless of whether or not it comes out of the Word of God. It's never going to happen here. They're never going to come down and shut down our churches, 
oh wait, they already did that. We, we think this stuff is not going to affect us. But the truth is that it will. And if we are to walk in true compassion, it means that something is actually required of us as those men and women who know our identity in Christ. It means that there, there is something required of us to not just accept all that is being done in the world around us and think that it's just going to get better somehow. I want to talk about what this looks like more in a moment here because I don't want to just highlight issues and just leave that there and say, okay, we got to do something about it. But I want to look at this other passage, Luke chapter 10, verses 2 through 12. Because Luke chapter 10 quotes the verse we just read in Matthew chapter 9. And we also see what Jesus instructs them to do after he makes this statement. So once again, verse 2, it says that he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and send out laborers into his harvest. He then says in verse 3, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. All right, let's just look at that verse for a second. Verse 3. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Okay? The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. I'm sending you out. But how am I sending you out? as lambs in the midst of wolves. That does not sound too confidence-building, encouraging in that moment. Verse 8 says, Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat whatever is set before you. And then verse 9, Heal the sick and then say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they don't receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we will wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. All right, some of the things that Jesus said here. Number one, Jesus did not say, go where I send you and intentionally stir up trouble. He didn't say go and make problems. He didn't say go looking for a fight. He didn't say go find the people that disagree with you, yell in their face, tell them that they're wrong, make them cry, do all these things. This is not what Jesus said. But he did say you're going to go in places where they're not going to necessarily agree with you. You're going to go into places where they're not going to be receptive. But regardless of what you find, I want you to declare to them that the kingdom of God has come near. If they receive it, great. And if not, those words will be spoken in judgment against them. He did say this. He said, I want you to walk in your God-given identity. I want you to walk in your kingdom authority. And I want you to heal the sick. I don't want you to go in there and just to say the kingdom of heaven is near. I want you to walk in your authority. I want you to walk in the representation of the kingdom. I want you to bring something to them that they didn't have before this moment. And in doing so, that you would open their eyes to see and to know that the kingdom has come. 
You see, it's, compassion is not just about uh, saying things that are going to make people happy. It's certainly not about just saying things that are going to upset people. It's understanding who we are and bringing the reality of the kingdom with us to actually change and transform lives. I don't want you to hear me saying in this, the world is broken all around us. Let's go yell at them and tell them all the things that they've done wrong. I think that we've tried that before. I think that approach at certain times has been used, but it hasn't bore any of the fruit that we were looking for. But what if we walked in our kingdom authority and brought about the change that only can come through the person of Jesus? What about if we brought answers to their questions and healing to the pain? If we walked in the discernment and the wisdom of God to be able to see lives transformed and changed? Because if we did that, I want to suggest that there might be a few more who would be receptive to the message of truth that we are bringing their way. Preach the gospel of the kingdom. See, compassion looks like something. Jesus said they're harassed and they're helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So bring them healing and bring them truth. See, the only way that we're going to be able to effectively show compassion to the world around us by speaking truth is if we love them well and walk in our authority. But even then, Jesus said at times, it's not always going to be received well. But our responsibility is not in the reception. Our responsibility is in the obedience. Our responsibility is in saying yes to what Jesus has called us to do. Yes, using wisdom using discernment, knowing what love truly is, not wanting to be right or to force opinions down the throats of others, but to understand that we have something living inside of us. Not something, but someone who knows every detail of their lives, who knows every pain that they have walked through, who knows every lie that they believe, who knows the places of condemnation and shame that they have carried with them. We have one that lives inside of us that has the ability to bring freedom to each and every single person walking this earth. That's who we carry. See, this mandate to go out, to heal the sick, to preach the good news of the kingdom, it didn't go away. We have been placed on the earth right now for such a time as this. And there is one day that we're going to stand before Jesus and we are going to be accountable for the lives that we led. We're going to be held accountable for the times that we realize that compassion requires something of us. And instead of judging the individual because they look different or they're walking in blatant sin and things that we know are wrong, instead of judging them, going and loving them and having compassion on them from the deep parts of who we are, of choosing to see them like Jesus sees them, in choosing to be the one that would bring freedom and hope and a new reality a new place of seeing truth and, and not walking in lies anymore or, or the deception of the enemy. There is a great deception that is going on right now in our world because the enemy has had, because the church hasn't stepped up to take its rightful position. We need to be the ones who in prayer, in supplication, in intercession, are standing for those in our households, in our communities, in our churches, in the world around us that the truth of God would overcome every lie of the enemy. 
Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. We need to be the ones who know our authority and that are choosing to take it. See, sometimes there are going to be words that we're going to speak that are going to bring freedom and healing to others, and sometimes they may upset some people. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. See, there are so many elements of this that I couldn't just stand here today and say, this is what it looks like for you to walk in compassion. This is what it looks like in your situation, in your relationships, in your workplace, in your reality that you face on a regular basis. But there are some things that we can point to together as a congregation to look at what it means to live out of a place of compassion. The first thing is that we need to be aware of where we can love like Jesus. We need to be aware of the places, the situations and the relationships that God has put forward in our lives that we are called to love like Jesus. I believe so, so firmly in this that we, we reference this song a lot of times where it says, break my heart for what breaks yours. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Jesus, I want to love you. I want to show you how much I love you. I want to do everything for you. That when we say these words and we pray these prayers, what God does in response is that he brings us opportunities to live those words out. For you, it might look completely different than what it looks like for me or the next person. But can we be aware of the people that God has brought in our lives that we are called to love like Jesus? to bring freedom, to be able to speak to lies, to be able to speak truth in the places. Maybe no one has ever spoken truth to them before. And maybe God wants to give you a unique ability to speak truth to them in a way that they've never heard it before. But we have to give him the opportunity to do so. We have to be close to those who are suffering. We have to be near to those who are hurting. We have to be willing to be the ones who would listen and to support and to love. We have to be aware of those less fortunate, those who are going through difficult seasons in their lives. We have to remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we do all these things? And he says, truly I say to you that as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Do you know what I see in this passage besides the obvious of of doing something for others and, and having it mean that we're doing it for Jesus? It's that there are physical things that we can be doing out of obedience that will open doors that may have been closed before. That there are things that we can be doing in a place of obedience, in clothing and visiting and going to prison and visiting them and and being able to give water and food. That there are things in this that will open doors for us to to speak truth that maybe they would not have been receptive to before that. Can we think about people in our lives that may seem so closed off from the gospel that seem like they want nothing to do with God in any way 
and start to pray, Holy Spirit, who can I be in their life? What is it that I could bring that would begin to soften their heart to the truth that you want to speak to them? What are the things that I can be doing? This might be the person that you dislike more than anybody else in the world. The person in your workplace who drives you insane. The person that you have kept your distance from because you know how they feel and they know how you feel. But what if we invited the Holy Spirit into those places? What if we began to pray for them? What if we began to reach out to them? What if we began to look for opportunities to shine the love of Jesus in their lives? You see, ultimately, this is what it means to operate from the depths of who we are in compassion. As I said, it's going to look differently for each one of us, but I believe that the Holy Spirit, when we give him the opportunity, is going to give us moments of time, doors that will be open, relationships that will be receptive to be able to speak truth to those who are distressed, to those who are hurting, for those who have been cast down, to be able to find and know their identity in Christ. See, it's going to require more than we have to offer. It's going to require the wisdom and the discernment of the Holy Spirit. It's going to require courage and obedience. It's going to require some difficult conversations at times. But it's also going to require an expectation that as we step into obedience, God is going to use us in ways that maybe we never could have imagined. Can we be the ones who have the faith to know that God can do more through us than we ever would have imagined otherwise? Can we be the ones that have the faith to see family members transformed and brought back to Jesus? Can we be the ones who would say yes, even in the places where it just doesn't seem to make sense that the words that we feel like we're supposed to speak, that doesn't make any sense, Holy Spirit. Will we be obedient to say what he's told us to say? See, we have to know what the compassion of Jesus looks like for us before we can bring it to others. We have to receive what he has done for us. We have to walk in the mandate that he has given us. And we need to know who Jesus really was, not the Jesus in necessarily in the kitty Bibles. Not the Jesus who only just did and said all the nice things. But recognize that Jesus was the one who walked in truth no matter what. That he never deviated from it. That he never walked away from it. And we are called to be more like Jesus.